Well, good morning and welcome again. I'm, I'm so glad uh, you're with us this morning and uh, since God's up to some good stuff in, in you and me. Um, it, just a quick throwback to last Sunday. Uh, Dan Schmidt, chairman of elders team, uh, shared with us that we are in the middle of a strategic visioning process. And uh, this week, many of you, most of you, should have received an email invitation to fill out a survey, and we've actually received a bunch of responses. Uh, so I wanna thank you for, for your response, and maybe uh, if this is a day off for you, maybe you could take a few moments. Uh, it, it's taking people between 10 and 15 minutes, and we'd love for your voice. We wanna hear your heart for our church and where we're going, and uh, we sense, uh, I, I know it seems like a weird time to be planning anything, but we've sensed that God wants to, to lay some groundwork so that when, as we're stepping out into what God has for us in the future, that we'll be ready. And uh, so I'm very excited about being part of that with you. Please keep praying, and, uh, and, and there'll be opportunity for more intensive input for some of you. We, uh, you can fill that out on your survey if you'd like to, and uh, let's keep praying about this whole process. Well, we started a journey into the Gospel of Matthew this amazing biography of Jesus. I'm so grateful for Simon and his message last week, giving us a kind of a, a big picture overview of Matthew's gospel. And I'd encourage if you didn't get a chance to watch that, go back and, and watch it. Uh, it's online. It, it'll give you a, a good sense of the themes of Matthew and the larger context of this remarkable book, this journey of Jesus and then the invitation Jesus makes for us to follow him and to walk with him. Last time I spoke, we got introduced to John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 3. And the passage we're looking at this morning carries on immediately after in verse 13, following that story. And it's this wonderful little passage, and it's remarkable in Matthew's gospel because it's our first introduction to the adult Jesus. Up until now, it's been like baby Jesus and infant Jesus, and here we get to meet the man. It's really great. I, I titled the message today, Surprised by Jesus, because if you'll remember, John is this bold, kind of outrageous Old Testament prophet. You get the sense that maybe John was a shouter, right? You can just picture him speaking out loud in the wilderness. He had no problem calling out the religious leaders who he suspected of great hypocrisy, they calling him a brood of snakes. And, and he tells people to, to repent, to turn, because God's kingdom is on the way. You know, that God's Messiah is about to show up. And he, then he says, I baptize you with water, but the one who's coming after me is going to baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. And then the next verse, verse 13, is Jesus. And it's clear <laughs> that Jesus isn't quite what John would expect, and perhaps what anyone or us would expect. Um, I love how N.T. Wright, you know, that the esteemed New Testament scholar, um, describes this contrast between John the Baptist and Jesus. He describes John, get this, as a concert manager, <laughs> whipping us into excitement at the soloist who is going to appear. He's coming He's more powerful than me. He will give you God's wind and God's fire, not just water. He'll sort you out. He'll clear out the mess. He'll clean up God's farm so that only the good wheat is left. 
And then Wright goes on to say, he says, we are on our feet. We're expecting a great leader, perhaps the living God himself, sweeping into the hall with a great explosion, a blaze of light, pyrotechnics, color, you know, transforming everything in a single blow. And instead we get Jesus. The Jesus we have only met so far in Matthew's gospel as a baby with a price on his head. And, and so not only is, is Jesus a surprise to John, he's a surprise to, to everybody and, and to us. And he's the kind of surprise that can, I would suggest this morning, radically upend and transform our lives. Let's dive in. Uh, again, if you have a Bible, you're going to want to turn there to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be reading from verse 11, backing up to there, to verse 17. This is John the Baptist speaking. I, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he'll clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be, the Jordan, I can speak, to be baptized by John, all these J words. But John tried to stop him, to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized with you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And so God, this morning, uh, just in the same way as the heavens opened that day, and you spoke, would you speak today? And... Uh, You've surprised us so much already with the life of Jesus. I pray you'd surprise us more today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's easy to see that the major theme of this passage is Jesus' baptism by John. But John, made the, John the Baptist made it really clear in verse, verse 11 that there is one who's coming who is going to be the ultimate baptizer. And then in verse 13, here he is, Jesus. But does he start baptizing? No. He wants to be baptized. It's actually quite stunning. Jesus came to be baptized by John. One, one scholar describes this as if a, a great preacher was coming to town and there's all this buzz and excitement about his arrival. And then the preacher does show up. But he doesn't go to the podium to preach. Instead, he goes to the front altar to pray and get, gets on his knees. It's like this church I attended when Angel and I were in university, this large church, and they had these Sunday evening services where the pastor, at the end of the service, would often invite people to come forward to the front, to what they called the altar, and you could kneel there, and you could pray, and, and you'd be invited to get right with God. And, and in that church, you know, who was most often up the front? Pastor Paul Cassidy, that was his name. Pastor Paul would give this invitation to the congregation, and he'd always be the first to the front on his knees, praying and asking for God's mercy and for God to meet him. Here's the thing. He, 
You know, in, in our day of celebrity everything, where everyone seems to be wanting more followers, where the podium is kind of the deal, Paul Cassidy, for me, was a powerful contrarian example to that kind of life. So Jesus, the one who's supposed to be the baptizer, wants to be baptized. Dale Bruner, New Testament scholar, says, I consider this incident to be Jesus' first <laughs> miracle, the miracle of his humility. Jesus, folks, his whole life will be like this, entirely backwards and upside down to the ways of our world. You know, funny, he had his first followers who would journey intensively, lived with Jesus for three years, and yet they were still surprised by him. On Jesus' last night, we talked about it earlier, he, he served a great meal, but there was another way he served. He took a, a towel and a basin, and he washed his disciples' feet. And Peter, who should have known better, says, no way, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. You know, and I don't want to say this. Peter didn't get it, and we're not going to get it. And it doesn't matter whether you've been following Jesus for 15 minutes or 50 years. I would suggest we're going to keep on getting surprised by this Jesus whose humility is greater than we could possibly imagine. You know, in our world that elevates power and promotes power and might and strength as being the way, Jesus even in his first adult moments in the Gospel of Matthew, shows us a whole other path. Verse 14. It's clear John doesn't get it. John wants to prevent Jesus from getting baptized. He says, how can I baptize you? You're the sinless one. You know who doesn't need the message, repent and believe, you know, repent and get baptized for your sins, is Jesus. Of all people, Jesus. And John could recognize in his own life his own need. He's like, I need to be baptized by you. And he wanted that. So John's kind of totally perplexed by this, this request of Jesus. And, and it makes me think, it should make us think. What do you do when God shows up in your life and does exactly the opposite of what you expect? What, what do you do when... when God surprises you. You think he's going to do this, or you want him to do this, and he does that. Or you want him to give you this, and instead he takes away this. We, I think we've all been there. Those are some of those wilderness moments, right? What do we do with a God who seems intent on surprising us? He's always, I'd say he's always kind of blowing up our boxes. Our God is often way too small. Well, verse 15, Jesus' response and argument to John is, is this is the way we fulfill all righteousness. There's that word, fulfill again. Simon pointed out to us last week, this idea of fulfillment is just a massive theme in Matthew because what Matthew's trying to do is, is give us a clue to the much bigger story that's going on that got, way, you know, that got foreshadowed a long, long time ago. A story of God's redemptive plan for for human history that's coming about in the person of Jesus. Now, Jesus saying to fulfill all righteousness is the kind of thing you'd think Jesus might actually say before his death on the cross. Or maybe it's something you'd think he might say after his resurrection. Why is it connected to baptism? 
Well, that, that word righteousness, especially in the Gospel of Matthew particularly, means doing the will of God. And so Jesus' baptism fulfills all righteousness by Jesus publicly declaring his intent and his decision to live a life of humble obedience to God. I, w- I want to do the, the will of God, he says, more than anything else in my life. By, by the way, I think Jesus is telling us here, this is how we are meant to approach baptism. Baptism is our public declaration, our, our desire to do the will of God more than anything else, to commit ourselves to live and to walk in the ways of Jesus, to live under his grace and in his power. Interesting, a while back I was listening to a sermon by, by Chris Weinert, a, a South African pastor, and he was telling the story of his friendship with Sidney Riggi. Sidney is a guy who grew up in India and, and grew up in an Indian, uh, a Hindu family. And Chris describes Sidney as this big, warm man who was this gifted evangelist and, and preacher and uh, a man of God. And they'd travel on these long road trips together, sometimes eight, ten-hour car rides. And the whole way to these, they'd, they'd be going to these conferences that they were going to be speaking at. And Chris would have his head bowed, praying for, for most of the trip. And then one day on, on this road trip, Chris pressed Sydney for his story. He, he'd kind of known bits and pieces, but he says, kind of tell me the whole deal. We got time here. And Sydney said, I, I grew up as a Hindu. My father was a religious man. But it seemed like no matter how much I did for the Hindu gods, they always wanted more for me. And they never brought me a sense of, of peace or, or redemption. And so I kept searching and I kept looking. And, and one day I got invited to a meeting and somebody there preached the good news of Jesus. And it was the first time I ever heard it. In his words, he says, it sounded scandalous, like outrageous, where God surrendered his divinity and takes on our humanity and then lives out of that humanity and, and dies so that he could offer redemption and salvation for free. And he said to Chris, he says, I, I came home and I told my dad, and my dad said, well, there are three million gods in the Hindu religion, so you want another guru and, and Jesus is his name? Then I, I'm happy with that. It was a week or two later that, that Sidney heard for the first time about baptism, and he said, if that's what Jesus says, repent and be baptized, he says, I want to be baptized. And and he went into the the waters of baptism and he came out rejuvenated by the mystery. You know, not not just of redemption, but of cleansing. You know, the wonder of God cleansing us from all our iniquities and our sinful ways. And he said, I came home to tell my dad that day. And he said, my dad rose from his chair and he beat me to within an inch of my life. He screamed at me. He said, get out of my house. You are not my son anymore. You're a dog. You won't come into my house as a man or my son. And he, and he called Sydney's mom and he shouted over the phone. And he said, I want you to know this man is not my son anymore. He's a dog. You take his food and you put it in a bowl, put it on the patio. He will live his life in this house as a dog. You will feed him like a dog. Now, now what's the difference? Jesus, a guru amongst many, 
a, a God amongst many. Baptism. It's, it's declaring a, a lifelong allegiance to one. To one alone. And for Sidney, the, the transforming act was this first act of obedience, of putting all of his trust, putting kind of all of his, his hope into Jesus, this, this decision to live the rest of his life for Christ. Baptism, folks, is not a, an act of simple religious observation. It is a moment of divine surrender and transformation. And so Jesus, who's, who he, when he gets baptized, he's modeling this obedience, this wholehearted obedience to the will of the Father, but there was something else he was doing when he got baptized. It's, it's something he does in his entire ministry. He's identifying with us. What do we say when someone gets baptized? We often quote Romans 6 verse 4 where it says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may live a new life. We identify with Jesus in our baptism because Jesus identifies with us in that moment. He humbles himself. He takes on a, a servant's attitude and, and heart. He, he enters into our nature. He enters into the waters, not because of what he needs, but because of what we need. He goes to the cross, not because of what he needs, but because of what we need. Everything about him will be geared to doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Again, we see his humility. It's, it's been commonly noted that Jesus enters into his ministry, or pardon me, ends his ministry on a cross between thieves. And it's worth noting that he begins his ministry in a river among sinners. These, these bookend images are of a God who is truly with us. This is Emmanuel, God with us, entering the waters. Bruner says it this way, he says, from his baptism to his execution, Jesus stays low at our level, identifying with us at every point, becoming as completely one with us in our humanity as he is believed to be completely one with God in eternity. Jesus, in his baptism, identifies with the sinners that he came to save. So, so John recognizes this and consents. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting on him. Can you picture that moment? Uh, I, I've pictured it many times, where we see the heavens open to Jesus, and it, it says that the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove, resting on Jesus. There's actually a lot in this dove image. It's actually a fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11, which says the Spirit of God will rest on him. It'll rest on God's chosen one. So this is kind of another moment of confirming who Jesus is, the chosen one of God. You know what else it reminds us of? It should throw us back to Genesis chapter 1. It's the Spirit of God like a dove hovering over the waters, bringing creation into being. Any other Old Testament dove moments come to mind? Genesis 8, uh, Noah, right? After they've experienced all this judgment and destruction, 
who comes on the scene to symbolize recreation. It's a dove. And this is a picture of the new creation that this fulfillment that is brought about in Jesus of making all things new, new and renewing all that's been broken and disfigured in the world. The dove also points to another quality, and it's gentleness. Later in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus was giving a pep talk to his disciples before he sends them out kind of on a missionary assignment. And he said, be as cautious as snakes and as gentle as doves. The dove here, you know what, right? A dove is just a, the gentlest of birds, the kindest of birds, not intrusive, not overpowering. They're, they're really quite beautiful creatures. The, the spirit descends like a, a, a dove. I, I think I grew up in a, in a church climate with, which seemed a little scared of the Holy Spirit. You know, we maybe hear Holy Spirit coupled with fire, and it's like maybe natural to, to be apprehensive. Like, what is God's Spirit going to do? And we're already, we're, in this passage, we're already surprised by Jesus, the, the arrival of this humble, humble king. But we're also surprised by the gentleness of the Holy Spirit who gives spiritual power and anointing and resources, but he does so in such a gentle way. The gentle heart of the Spirit. By the way, scholars tell us there are really two gifts that we receive in our baptism. The the gift of forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter in Acts chapter 2, he summed up this in his first sermon. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What amazing gifts. And folks, as we read on in Matthew, and we're going to be challenged by the teaching of Jesus and the life of Jesus, he's going he's to continue to surprise us in the how he turns our wisdom into foolishness and, has, and brings us his wisdom on life. And we're going to be asking the question, like, how can we live up to Jesus' charge to us to be sexually pure? How can we live up to, to Jesus' command to be radically generous in our lives? Or, or his instructions about being profoundly loving and selfless in our attitudes and behaviors, even loving enemies doing good to those who hurt us. You, you don't achieve these things by, by getting religion. You know, you achieve these things by living out of the grace of Jesus, the forgiveness that we have in him, and then the empowering of the Holy Spirit leads us to the ultimate resource, his power. Okay, so the Spirit rests on Jesus like a dove, and then there's this voice that breaks through from heaven. This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. These probably are some of the most important words to me in all of Scripture. Before I tell you why, let's just unpack them for a moment. These words, again, affirm Jesus' identity. It's this language that calls us back to Old Testament promises that we see like in places like Psalm 2, where it says, you will be my son, you are my son. Again, in Isaiah 42, here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, and whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Again, these words of Jesus are meant to kind of validate 
Jesus' identity by the Father as the chosen king who would bring justice to the world, to the nations. Some have called this moment kind of the, the coronation of Jesus the king. But he's not just a king. He's also God's beloved son. We see God's pleasure on him. With him, I am well pleased. Uh, you may or may not know that there's really only two times that God's voice, the Father's voice, kind of breaks through from heaven in the New Testament at, at Jesus' baptism and his transfiguration. Both times the, the Father same, says basically the same thing This is my beloved son, my precious son, in whom I'm well pleased. In, in the transfiguration moment, there's one line added where, where the Father says, I'm well pleased with him, listen to him, pay attention to him. Dale Bruner says that if we hear the Father's voice these two times correctly, it would seem that the one fact the Father wants believers to know above apparently all other facts is how much we have in Jesus. My priceless son, deeply pleased. If we know this, we know the most important fact in the whole world. Here God is saying in, in, in so many words, in this man, is, is everything that I want to say, reveal, and do, and everything that I want people to, to really hear and see and believe. And if you want to know anything about me, if you want to hear anything from, from me, if you, you want to please me, get yourself together with him. And that's not the best part. Because the second meaning of the voice is that all the kindness that we hear for for hearing the Father's voice for his beloved Son is conveyed to us in our baptism, in our adoption into God's family. You see, because we know that in his baptism, Jesus was identifying with us, we can know that when we become believers and we commit our lives to Christ and in our baptism into Jesus, these same words, these same ideas apply to you and me. Our, our, our salvation means that the heavens are open to us, that the divine pleasure of, of God rests upon us, and we receive this blessing for, from God. This is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. I, I'd suggest it's a voice we all need to hear. Years ago, I, I think of a time, maybe 10 or 12 years ago, when I was um, feeling particularly spiritually, emotionally, physically exhausted. And I got away for a few days to pray over uh, and, and do a kind of spiritual retreat over in Bowen Island. And uh, one day I went for a walk into kind of an unexplored, you know, um, part of the island and, and went for a hike on this trail. I can remember exactly where I was. And I, as I'm walking along, I'm, I'm like just praying like crazy. I'm just talking a lot to God. I'm telling him all of my frustrations and my hurts and my questions and my confusion and I'm kind of throwing this all out there and I realized and I think we do a lot of this in prayer we do a lot of the talking when I mean like we're talking to God maybe it'd be good to listen to him once in a while and so I actually just like said God I, and I literally said this God I'm I'm doing all the talking I said is there anything you want to say to me and the answer was almost instant I heard these words, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And I tell you that, that one line, um, 
was a game changer for me. And, and I, I went away from there, and I said, if I don't get anything else in the next decade for my spiritual life, this, this is what I needed to hear. It was like water to a dry and thirsty soul. Even today, even, even now, I, I keep going back to that, God, you said that to me. You said that over me. I know that's true. Folks, this is not just for me. For those of us who believe this is our identity, this, this is God's words over anyone who belongs to his family. You are my beloved. I'm, I'm pleased with you. I, I think many of us, we think, uh, when we think of God, we're a little afraid. We're, we're, we're thinking maybe of actually getting the opposite message from God. I'm not pleased with you. I, I'm actually kind of ticked off at you, right? I carried that message with me from, from a good part of my life, suspecting if I ever slowed down to listen to God, that was what I was going to hear. But in my quiet moment, I said, God, what do you want to say? He says this, more often than not, this, you are my beloved child, and with you, I'm pleased. I'm deeply pleased with you. I, I, I suspect that more than anything that God wants to speak over your life. It is this message. I, I was so privileged last week to be able to preside and help facilitate Irene Barker's celebration of life. Some of you would have heard this, but Charlene, uh, Irene's youngest daughter, got up and spoke at the funeral, and she shared uh, about how she was adopted at the age of seven. And Charlene said they had to, to go to court to formalize the adoption. And the judge asked Charlene this question. He said, do you want to be part of this family? Do you want to be part of this family? And Charlene said, yes. And, and I'd say that Jesus looks at each of us, the one who loves us more than anyone loves us, and he asks us, do you want to be part of this family with a father like this? with a spirit who's so gentle and a humble, humble Lord. And he says, you get to choose. No, no one decides this for you. You get to choose if you want this. Do you want to belong to me? Do you want to have me as your identity? Folks, it, it kind of boils down to it. it. It involves doing what Jesus did when he was baptized. He made a statement. I'm going to seek to do the will of God more than anything else. In other words, I'm going to put my life and my trust and my hope in God's hands and seek to live by his grace and in his power because I can't do this on my own. I'm going to do that. I love the, the framework that uh, Simon gave us last week, two questions he invited us to ask as we walk through Matthew. I think it's really good. What do we learn about Jesus? And secondly, what do we learn about following him? <laughs> You know, part of the challenge of this passage is to learn again, to be surprised by Jesus. He comes to fulfill God's plans, not ours. Even John the Baptist misunderstood what Jesus was up to. We expect one thing, and, and what we get is, is Jesus, this humble, humble king. And he models to us the one who lives in a lifelong obedience to the Father. Two. We're invited through repentance and faith to follow Jesus into baptism. And along the way, he leads 
just an aside, if you haven't done this and you'd like to do this, we'd love to help you do this. Like, we'll, apparently Bonnie Henry says we can still baptize people, so we will baptize you. We, we have a tank. I'll wear a mask. We'll do it. So, like, reach out to us. If you'd like to take this step and as a, a public declaration of an inward decision that you have decided to follow Christ and to become his apprentice, you can do that, and we'll, we'd be glad to do it. It says that when a person makes that kind of de- decision, it says all the angels are rejoicing in heaven. I mean, there's a, a big party when the family gets expanded. It's like when you get news that, that somebody in your family is expecting a, a, a child, and everyone celebrates. Well, imagine that times a gazillion, right? The whole family of God celebrates over one person who says, I want to I be part of the family of God. So you're invited into that. You're invited to, to follow a Jesus who will blow your mind and who will do what you don't expect. But he offers forgiveness and the gift of his spirit and life ever after with him. Why don't we uh, pray and, and uh, I'm going to invite the team up. They're going to lead us in a song. Lord, we, uh, we invite you to continue to, to reveal to us, Jesus, who you are. Um, your greatness is um, something that we can never understand or get a, get a grip on. Your humility, your willingness to, to share uh, in our suffering. You, scripture says that you are counted among the transgressors. You became one of us in order to identify with us and ultimately to free us. And Jesus, um, we want to We want to pay attention to your invitation to be part of your family. And uh, for those maybe who are are sensing that God is inviting them today, you you simply need to say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. Would you cleanse me and forgive me of all my sin, my my waywardness, my rebellion, and uh, draw me into your family and into your life that I might follow you for the rest of my days. And God will do that. God will... God will open you up to all that he has for you. God, we pray, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives in this wilderness season. Continue to to lead us after the one who is worthy of all our praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.